You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. At the Close of Day by Audrey's on AO3. They're making tracks in upstate New York when winter comes. It's early, Mulder says, shading his eyes against the flat white sky as the first flakes settle soft around them. He looks every bit the Eagle Scout, or the faithful pointer. She wonders if reading the wind was a skill they taught between ballroom dance classes on Quantikatog. She says, I'm not sure that the weather adheres to our mundane constructs of time, Mulder. He gives her a smile for that, and there are soft snowflakes catching on the collar of his coat. She has her hands shoved deep into her pockets, her boots planted firmly into the mud at their feet. They'd been tracking something with paws, hooves, about half the length of her size sevens, and twice as heavy. There are rumors about the deer around here, walking on two legs, speaking. She calls it the Disney effect, and he calls it the Buckman. As of five minutes, and two teenagers wearing absurd square boots and deer garb ago, they've both been proven wrong. The South Side Moss, Mulder says, nodding like he hasn't just spoken nonsense. He's walking ahead of her now, white breath catching and carrying his words. What? The mud makes deep, gasping sounds as her boots pull up with every step. It sounds almost like breathing. She thinks about how much water the human lung can hold before the heart stops. Thinks how you can drown in two inches of water. An ocean inside a teacup. Two years ago, they'd watch a woman drown on dry land. Somewhere in the middle of her cancer, she'd thought she knew what it felt like to suck in air and choke. But it's a heart attack that does it, not asphyxiation. That's why drowning is faster than it looks. An easier, compared to what, way to die. In two inches of water, or none at all. Mulder turns back to her and the wrenching sounds of her two big boots— He's climbed easily over a fallen log that blocks her path, and she's momentarily annoyed by his height, by the presumptuous way he'd turned to help her. He's too quick to rescue, and too guilty not to be religious. He offers two hands across the log, palms up and gloveless, like he's awaiting something akin to benediction. She frowns at him and then his hands, the log and the mud and her two big boots. It's been four months since her cancer, and she's still too skinny. It's been four months, and he still touches her like he might not get to again. Four months, and she still leans in and lets him. The south side moss, Scully, he says and makes a come-here motion. She gives him her gloved fingers and then pauses, their hands linked over a dead tree. Explain. She's stalling. He can tell, but he swings her hands gamely from side to side, says, If the south side moss on a tree is thicker than the north side, the winter will be rough. He glances down at the mossy log below them and grins back up at her, tugging her hands without warning. She yelps, her feet coming easily to rest on top of the log, while her left boot remains trapped somewhere in the muddy expanse on the other side. Mulder laughs and it's snowing, and it's the day before Thanksgiving on a bullshit case in the middle of upstate New York, and she's cold, 
but not in the medicated way of hospital rooms and chemotherapy. She's cold and annoyed and shoeless, and she is alive, alive, alive. She balances one foot on the log, still holding one of Mulder's hands. Well, she says, her voice soft and even, that settles it. I'm going to have to kill you. The snow is coming down harder around them. Mulder wipes his eyes, and she resists the urge to stomp her sock foot at him. I'm sorry. He is not. I'll buy you new boots. He'll do no such thing. Come here. Because that went so well last time. She scowls. He grins. He is a reckless, ridiculous man, and she supposes she's always known this. He does not wait for her to retract her threat of bodily harm before scooping her off the log and into his arms. See? He smiles. You don't even need shoes. She sputters. This is absurd! Mulder! He shrugs the best he can with her bridal style against his chest. Their rental car is less than 200 yards away, parked at the mouth of the forest. She almost says she'd rather walk, but settles on rattling off a list of grievances instead. She knows he won't put her down unless she specifically asks, and the mud is deep and cold. First of all, she blows hair out of her eyes as he starts walking. We could easily rescue my boot. Furthermore, I'm sure I don't need to remind you that I'm armed, and your chest is currently in dangerously close proximity to my weapon. She shifts her hips so he can feel her holster. He only holds her tighter. Mulder says, That didn't bother you a few years ago. You're lucky my shoulder can still support your weight. He is obnoxiously pleased with himself. She looks at him. You are in possession of an acute savior complex, Mulder. One that is not at all relieved by your unwavering desire to annoy the shit out of me. She can remember him warm and unyielding at her bedside. The way she demanded to save him like it was her God-given right. And the way he smiled soft and would not let her. She thinks two martyrs walk into a bar. Who walks out? Are you diagnosing me, doctor? He doesn't really smile, but his eyes crinkle. Her foot is cold. She shrugs, keeping her head off his shoulder, because that would feel like defeat. I just call him as I see him. Mulder is unseasonably warm. She'd been all bones for the past few months. Like her body had begun the work of decomposition before the show was even over sneaking out before the encore. She'd never believed in death as an entity because she knew death as a scientific constant, had taken notes on all its forms. She was a good pathologist, and she could track the route blood took as it stopped. She wonders if Mulder can feel the bite of it in her still, in the hard lines of her shoulders and ribs. It's downright Christmassy out here, Scully. Mulder says as they come toward the end of the trail. The snowflakes are big and short-lived, melting against her lips and eyelashes. They're supposed to drive back to D.C. by tonight, but it's four o'clock and the sun is wavering gently behind quickly thickening clouds. She wonders about blizzards, about John Candy, and her mother's cranberry sauce. It's not even Thanksgiving, Mulder, she says, and it comes out like a sigh. She used to wonder if she stayed, in part, 
so he'd have someone to keep time for him, make sure he doesn't lose minutes or months or anything of their caliber. But that was before he'd held her in a hospital hallway, and she'd realized the only thing she wanted to do was stand still, close by, where he could reach her. The woods around them are not nearly as dense as they've become accustomed to. Even the sunshine state of Florida last month had managed to be darker. Here, the hints of sky around the trees are white-gray and gaping. It makes her almost nervous in the way she supposes city dwellers become used to the rush of traffic and find themselves adrift in the suburban absence of sound. Mulder says something about snow on the roads and capital F, frost. The thrum of his voice is warm and she ignores him, relinking her fingers around his neck. The way light gets through the trees here, it makes her squint. The weatherman says the roads will be icy tonight, and that drivers should cuddle up and stay cautious, which she thinks seems like contradictory advice. Scully switches the radio station, and premature Christmas carols filter into the sedan's four-door perimeter of warmth. Jesus, she mutters, it's not even December. She goes for the knob again, and Mulder stills her hand. Leave it, he says. It's Winter Wonderland, Scully. That's not a Christmas song. It's also not the kind of message I'd like to send the weather right now, she says, but brings her hand back to her lap. Her toes scrunch inside her thick white gym socks on the dash. Her poor, lonely, mud-covered boot lies prone on the floor. She rubs her hands together, shivers. Her hair is wet where the snow hit and fluffy everywhere else. They're both sporting red cheeks. She one-ups him with a cherry red nose. Mulder glances at her sock feet. Sorry about your boot. No, not really you aren't. She's not angry, just correct. Mulder looks at the road and not at her. I'm sorry that your foot was cold. That was probably true. She was always cold, and he was always sorry, always blowing on her fingers and offering his coat. She can't recall exactly when that had all started, but in Minnesota, after faster, she can distinctly remember the feeling of his long black coat around her shoulders. The collar pulled up to hide her tear-stained face. She remembers feeling unsustainable in that coat, like she was playing dress-up. It had been worse when she was sick. The chills, her perpetually numb hands. He'd kissed her palm in the hospital, and she'd felt it only exactly right there. She sighs. It's all right, Mulder. When the radio fades into I'll be home for Christmas, she switches the station because really, Bing, she'd just like to make it back for Thanksgiving. The next place she lands is playing Let It Snow, and Mulder grins sideways across the console at her, as if asking for permission. She rolls her eyes, drops her fingers away from the dial. For a California baby, you sure don't get excited about snow, Scully. She used to, she thinks, when snow was more a television rarity than a cold reality. She traces a smudge on the cool car window with her finger. It's inconvenient but exciting. Maybe. But she wasn't sure she'd see another snow. She does not say this. 
For a Massachusetts baby, you sure do get excited about snow. I don't know if you've noticed, Scully, but I'm excited about a great many things. She bites down on a smile and closes her eyes against the window, bringing her knees to her chest. Mulder's a slow, careful driver, an idiosyncrasy she finds curious. He always exists at the highest possible speed, a collection of restless energy and fault-line nerves all pulled together under that unsustainable black coat. His driving is cautious, even more so in the snow, and she wonders if it's because he's unsure of their destination or doesn't mind the distance it takes to get there. She'll ask him, she thinks, when the world melts. Beyond the swipes of the windshield wipers, the sky takes their song seriously. Mulder hums along. When they pull up at a diner, with a warm red open sign flashing in a picture window and Fresh Pie Daily handwritten next to it, she knows they're totally screwed. It's dark out now, but the snow is still falling in fat white flakes. She rubs her eyes and looks at him. The clock on the dash reads 9.30 p.m. She's due to be on her mother's couch in roughly 12 hours to watch the parade, and they're still somewhere in bumfuck New York. Mulder, is this diner your polite way of telling me I'm spending the majority of my Thanksgiving on the highway? It's fine, really. Layla Robbins is not waiting for either of them at home. She can call her mother from here or from a motel. Maggie will be disappointed but not angry. Her mother had found it very difficult to be angry at her for anything as of late. There was something about coming back from the dead that made people wary in a subtle way. Like she'd called upon heavenly forces or unquestionable strength to force the delicate mechanism of her body into working order. Like she was to be loved, cherished maybe, but not reckoned with. Only Mulder, she thinks, still has the decency to fight with her. But now he looks genuinely sorry, says, Sorry, Neil, the roads are too bad for us to get back tonight. We'll head out again in the morning. She shrugs, stretches. You don't have to be sorry. You do have to get my other shoes from the trunk. And buy me pie. He nods his agreement to the stated terms. The parking lot is covered in a thin layer of ice, and they slip their way to the door. Her fingers go numb, but her palms warm in his hand as they hold each other up, and it's like before, in the hospital. She feels it right there, Exactly. The diner smells like vanilla with a base note of fry grease. Their booth is cracked maroon vinyl, but the tables are clean and the radio is playing Tom Petty instead of premature Christmas tunes. There are fairy lights above the bar, though, and Mulder nudges her shoulder when he sees them, because he seems to see every evidence of pre-Thanksgiving holiday spirit as some specific personal victory. Their waitress is named Ruth, she calls them both honey and seems to think they're on a romantic Thanksgiving rendezvous until Mulder flashes his badge. After that, she calls them Agent Honey and Agent Sweetheart and asks them both if they're ready to wake up to two feet of snow tomorrow morning. Mulder blinks. Two feet? That's what they're saying now? Ruth nods, chewing on her pen cap. You bet. My kids are ecstatic. Think a white Thanksgiving sounds like fun. Mulder looks sideways at Scully, as if somehow he's controlling the weather. 
Ruth looks outside for a moment, sighs. Folks around here are sick of the snow, but I gotta tell you, I like it. Waking up in the morning after a big storm is always real pretty. Makes the world look softer than it was before, if you know what I mean. Scully smiles. Her sister used to say something similar. She says, I know exactly what you mean. They order pie for dinner. The radio is playing Van Morrison by the time they finish eating. Scully calls her mother from the phone in the corner, tracking flakes on the window with her pointer as she apologizes. For a moment, hearing her mother's voice and knowing that in her house tonight and tomorrow will be a haze of warm food and the smell of smoke from her father's fireplace, she feels a sharp tug of something like guilt or regret. For a moment, she thinks, I'm in the wrong state. But even as she thinks it, she watches Mulder across the room, watches him say something to Ruth that makes her broad shoulders shake as she laughs, and the curving warmth of his smile, and finds herself fall victim to some terrible object permanence trouble that applies to everyone but him. When she slides back in across from him, it is like completing the construction of some necessary tool. She forgets that things, people, exist outside the orbit of their booth of his smile, and the mug of tea he pushes across the table to her. There is only this, really. Only them, and this thing they are building. He looks at her for a moment when she sits down, and she smiles into the steam of her mug. In Sunday school, they used to say gratefuls, where they just circled up and said something they were thankful for. She used to say, my family, every time, because that's what Bill said, and she thought it sounded nice and true. She doesn't think her answer has changed, but as she watches him look at her and smile, she feels the shift in her definition of the word like a seismic pull. He says, I should, I want to. He looks at his hands. I wanted to say thank you. She chokes on her tea, lets the hot ceramic mug burn into her palms. She'd been thinking almost the same thing, but they weren't supposed to say things like that. Mulder, what on earth for? He glances at her for a split second and then rubs his eyes. For being here. For staying. She feels a hot prick of anger in the base of her throat. He was going to do this too? Ask for her blessing, like she only continued on this earth to spread her beatific light on the lesser people who surrounded her? She curls her hands tighter around the mug. Mulder breathes in across from her. Ruth has cleared the last of their plates away, and he puts his palms flat on the table, lowers his voice. I guess I'm trying to thank you for surviving, but I know that's stupid. It is stupid. He looks up like the sharp edge of her voice has pricked him to attention. Scully? She runs her tongue over her teeth puts her mug down slow. I said, it is stupid. Mulder, her ridiculous, reckless, sweet man, looks like she just ran over his cat. His mouth hangs open for a second. He says, I just meant... She says, I know what you meant. You meant to thank you for continuing to, I don't know, grace you with my existence or something like that. 
Bless him, he almost nods. She shakes her head sharply. Mulder, I didn't make this happen. I don't know why I'm here and not six feet under cold ground in Arlington right now. He winces, but she pushes on. I don't know why I get to sit here with you and eat pie and drink tea when everything I know and understand says I should be dead. And if you think, if you think that I'm alive because I chose it, that's not true. She can tell she's scaring him, but he's not understanding her yet. She lays her hand on the table parallel to his and speaks softer. I didn't choose to live, Mulder, because it wasn't up to me. And if it had been, I don't know what I would have done if it had been. She blinks hard. I didn't want to leave you, but dying hurts. I didn't know how much longer I could fight it. He looks at their parallel hands. He says her name so quiet she barely hears him. Come here, she says, pulling up away from the table and moving over to make room in the booth. Come here. He comes because she asks him to. Their black coats merge as he slides in next to her. Their shoulders touch, but he looks down instead of at her. From behind the counter, Ruth is watching them, and Scully almost waves to say they're all right over here. Instead, she looks over at Mulder leans closer until she's sure he can feel her through his unsustainable coat. I'm happy I'm alive, okay? I'm happy that I'm here with you in this silly diner and not anywhere else. But I don't know why. And I can't have everyone getting down on their knees around me when we both know that whatever saved me is beyond comprehension and most definitely beyond my control. I'm not a saint for being here with you, Mulder. I'm just here with you, and I'm alive. And you'll have to forgive me if I'm a little bit... strange. I just didn't plan for this, and I think... She breathes. I think that means I'm just human. Just me. Just Scully. Not Scully back from the dead or Scully 2.0. Do you understand? She wonders if it's the cold that has made her so heady and absurd. Somewhere during her little sermon, she'd put a hand on his cheek and made him face her. It felt important, like he was her proof of life, her gauge of her own human nature. He looks at her now with some mix of awe and understanding. She thinks it means something stupid will probably come out of his mouth. She half smiles at him and waits. He says, I'm... shit, Scully. Thank you for... She thinks he's probably going to say, telling me, which is not at all what he was trying to thank her for earlier, and not really a problem. But while she was sitting here and talking about how she might have died, and thinking about if she was buried in Arlington right now, there would be many things she wouldn't be able to do. Not just limited to drinking tea and eating pie and getting lost upstate with him. She'd made a decision. If he said thank you again, she was going to do something about it. She was pretty sure he would. She could read him like a formula. He almost always produced sparks. So, 
He tastes like pumpkin spice and chamomile when she kisses him to catch the words from falling out of his mouth. She says, Shut up. Shut up. Soft against his lips until he hears her. The motel is three blocks down from the diner. They'd ice skated their way back to the car and Mulder, bad listener, quick learner, hadn't said anything at all when he kissed her against the door. Their room is small and clean. It has two beds, and they use one of them. Mulder is even warmer than he'd been when he carried her out of the forest, which she reminds herself to make him swear to tell no one about. She's wearing his sweatshirt over little else and uses the cold room as an excuse to curl against him. Her hips are sharp, too thin. She says, Mulder? He says, Scully. Do not thank me for anything ever again. His hand sweeps over her stomach as he laughs, and she forgets that she is a textbook image of a skeleton under thin skin. I make no promises. She turns against him and her foot slips out of the covers, the rush of cold air making her hiss. He says something about buying her new boots tomorrow, nice ones, from that brand she likes, or maybe that other one. And it feels a lot like gratitude. It feels a lot like promising. Snow falls outside and does not melt when it hits the ground. And the world is softer than before. She lets him contradict himself until she falls asleep. Until the snow stops. And the world is softer than before. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.